Kyle Richards and Dariq Hemsley do not seem to be in a good place anymore. Tamara Judge is talking all about her Trace Amiga's fallout with Vicky and Shannon. Meghan Markle is being blasted in a new book after we find out the queen was not happy about her baby name. And we're going to talk Traders Season 2. I hope you are ready, Freddie. You're listening to No Filter with Zach Peter, your go-to source for all the latest pop culture and reality TVT, Surf Fresh, all week long. Now, let's dive in. What up? Happy Monday. Happy MLK Day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on in. Welcome on in. Welcome on in. Um, First, two little personal shout outs that I want to give. Um, one, thank you for all the love and support. I was able to finally share the um, Court TV appearance I made talking all about the Tom Girardi uh, embezzlement scandal and Erica Jane. I don't know if anyone's watched it yet. It's available on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Zach, or you could just look up Zach Peter on YouTube. Um, posted it on the Instagram account, posted it on YouTube, so you can watch on YouTube or IG. And you can catch the full segment there. It was really exciting. Um, I'm very grateful to Court TV. Very grateful to opening segments for having me on the podcast. Julie, thank you for having me on. Uh, I had a blast. I, I was so surprised. Like So many people were sending me such sweet like DMs and um, messages just like uh, congratulating me on that. And I was like, oh, like I... I don't know. Sometimes I'm just so caught up. And like I told you guys, I had agreed to do it. It was last Monday. So a week ago is when we taped that. But I had agreed to do it while I was in Sequoia with my family. And it was kind of just like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And then, you know, I had got back from Sequoia Sunday night. And then Monday morning, I had to film that at 5.30 a.m. So it was, you know, it was... kind of a blur, a blip. It just kind of happened. And then everyone was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. This is huge. This is major. Congrats. Um, This is like mainstream media. This is television that's like recognizing you as a podcaster. Um, Because like usually other podcasters are brought into like, 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 listen, and I've done like Access Hollywood. I've done, you know, other, you know, I get picked up in like page six a lot um, or just the podcast or the live shows always get picked up in the press. But like, this is like a real, I even kind of was like, really? Court TV is going to pick me? Like, am I like, what? Huh? Me? I'm like legally blonde. I'm well, I'm no longer blonde, but I'm like, you know, just like learning this all on my own. But they're like, no, your interview was really great. And, you know, they shared many clips from the interview. I got to chat about that. There was an attorney on that also got to provide some of the more, you know, legal expert analysis into the Girardi case. So we'll see where that goes. Tom Girardi is expected to move forward with trial or he's at least going to plea out meaning he'll likely like take some sort of plea deal so that he doesn't have to serve time or doesn't receive the maximum amount of time i believe going off the top of my head it's 20 to 25 years that he's looking at right now uh for the five charges of wire fraud that he's currently facing here in california that doesn't include his case over in illinois does not include his son-in-law david lira who is also an attorney that's not erica's son it is his uh Tom's daughter, Jacqueline, her husband. Because some people are like, what? The son-in-law? Doesn't that mean that's Erica's son? No, that would be his stepson, guys. Um, So, yes, David Lira. Keith Griffith, I don't believe, has been formally charged with anything yet. But he was one of the attorneys that has been pulled into question. And then we also have Christopher Camone, who was the CFO. He was the one that was running the books, signing the checks, you know, overseeing all of this mess. Remember, he was caught trying to flee to the Bahamas. He was liquidating all his assets, selling all of his properties, had multiple properties here in the States, was 
coincidentally, what a coinkydink, started to sell them all here in the United States, bought a property over in the Bahamas, and was just about to flee the country, or just about to leave the country, not flee the country. He was like, oh, no, what are you talking about? I wasn't trying to flee. I was like, okay, Elizabeth Holmes with your one-way ticket to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Next. So we'll see what happens with them. Erica has not been pulled into question, but as it was revealed on court TV, um, the attorney, oh my God, I'm so sorry. His name is uh, slipping my mind at the moment, but uh, well, if you watch the segment, you'll see him there. Uh, he actually DM'd me too. And he said that um, Erica could very likely be called in to be a witness unless there's some sort of spousal privilege. I don't know if that would apply considering she's actively pursuing a divorce. Noah Pines. Was that him? Was that his name? Noah Pines? I believe so. Thank you, Joe Mendoza. Noah Pines um, was the attorney, and he said that it's very likely that they're going to call in Erica. So if they do go to trial and Erica has to stand you know, as a witness, that's going to be interesting. I wonder how much they're going to be able to question her, though. I mean, I would assume the only thing that they would be able to question her I mean, they can ask her where the money went, but she can say, I don't know. Tom oversaw all the books. He, you know, I listened to him. I trusted him as my husband. I'm assuming that's going to be what she's going to say. But when it comes to the LLC, that's probably where the most questions will come in. Because as we know, she was living her lifestyle off of an Amex. And this is where that $20 million number is coming from. Is That's the figure, I believe, Ronald Richards helped put together that number, but really wasn't able to link it to anything, which is why he was let go or, you know, voluntarily gave up his diamond, you know, when he was hired by the trustee as special counsel to investigate Erica. He from what I recall, didn't wasn't really able to pull up much other than, yes, there was $20 million that was linked. And that's why we see Denise Richards in the recent account saying, oh, there was $20 million put into your bank account. That's a stupid line because multiple people have tried to say that, that he gave her $20 million or put that into his bank into her bank account, which is not true. That's not how it happened. Anybody that knows the case knows that she was living her lifestyle off of an Amex. She was running all the expenses there, but the Amex bill went to Girardi Keys. So Tom Girardi, Christopher Camone, whoever was paying those bills, they're the ones that saw what the charges were and they were the ones that were paying it. We just now know that it looks like those Amex bills were being paid with money that wasn't necessarily entitled to Girardi Keys or entitled to Tom Girardi exactly. There, I'm assuming, has been a deep forensic accounting into the books and nobody's been able to really make sense of it because everything is commingled. Everything's kind of just shuffled around and we're pulling money from here and money from there to pay for this and to pay for that. And it's just one big hot mess is really what it is. Um, and it does look like there may have been some skimping here or there, but all of that still has to be tracked and linked. And it's interesting. Um, so we'll see how this all plays out, but I would assume if they do bring Erica into court, that's what they would question her about is the LLC. And again, the way Tom was writing this off in the tax returns is he was saying that the reason Girardi Keese was paying for these Amex bills, he wasn't actually writing it as, oh, this was Girardi Keese's payment towards Erica Jane's Amex bill for EJ Global. He was writing it as, oh, no, this $100 was a loan that was given from Girardi Keese to EJ Global. So the money wasn't Tom's and the money wasn't Erica's, but it was Girardi Keese's and it was EJ Global's. So that's how he was writing it off on the tax returns, which, as I said on Court TV... You know, yes, she did send the tax returns. Yes, she did um, admit to that on my show. But she was like, listen, I 
nobody can make sense of the tax returns. The government can't make sense of these tax returns because none of it makes any sense. She's like, I trusted my husband and I signed what he told me to sign. So we'll see where it goes. We'll see even if they do bring her in. Um, technically, since they are still married, as Joe Mendoza mentioned in the live chat, she could raise spousal support. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know. They are technically married and people are asking, why hasn't she divorced him yet? That's because the courts have made the embezzlement, alleged embezzlement scandal the priority in all of this. The trustee is focused on closing out the Girardi key stuff, closing out Tom Girardi's personal debts. Once both of those are done, then they'll likely move on to the divorce. That's why the divorce has not been moved forward because then they want to make sure, does she have any property? Is there any property that she's entitled to? You know, as they're liquidating all the assets, it's very unlikely that she's going to get anything from his estate. However, these are still the legal formalities that need to kind of unfold. So, yeah. Danielle asked, which lawyer did Zach do his last podcast with the woman who wears darkened glasses, Emily D. Baker or something? Yes, it's Emily D. Baker. Uh, she is one of my faves. She's a friend. She's one of my go-tos when it comes to the legalities of it all. Emily D. Baker, Daniel Feruzin, um, Justin Paperni, all great guests that I've had on this podcast, all, you know, very knowledgeable with the legal world, all legal commentators, um, done deep dives with with all of them. But Emily is a dear friend and I've had her on the show before. Emily D. Baker. Emily D. Baker. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's Court TV. That's Jordy Keys. That's Erica. Thank you guys for the love for the Court TV appearance. You can watch it now on, on my YouTube channel, which very exciting. Thank you, Julie Grant. Julie Grant, thank you. Th thank you, girl. Um, also, oof, just had a had a little personal moment because I was at the gym this morning. I was at Orange Theory this morning, and um, I decided today was Strength Fifty, which is solely a weight class, not because usually they're hit, uh, yeah, hit interval classes, high intensity interval training, and so half of it's like on the treadmill and doing cardio, and then half of it's strength training. But I did a Strength Fifty, which is straight strength all the way through, and it was upper body. And today I was, I remember starting at Orange Theory, and last summer I think I started in September, October ish, and I started doing it like twice a week with just the regular hit classes before I started doing more of the strength training classes. And I would, my dumbbells were 15. I would only do 15 dumbbells. That's it. That's, I think at best I would push myself to like a 20 dumbbell. Now, today, yo, I was lifting 40 pound dumbbells, each arm, 40 pounds. I was doing chest presses. Boom, boom, boom. And the lift, I, I was doing all of it, 40 pounds. Look at it. Consistency, dedication. I'm saying this because anybody that's starting off the new year that has any new year goals, they don't have to be fitness related. They don't have to be um, health related. I mean, if they are, I think that's great. But, you know, anybody that is looking to make a change, it's about consistency. You can start small. Like I said, I started Orange Theory back in September and I was doing it twice a week, only two times before I upgraded to my unlimited membership, you know, putting on muscle, toning up my body, all of that. Like I feel good. My, you know, I'm every day in every way getting better and better and reminding myself as I have it written right here. Today, I am worthy and I am deserving, which you are too. Show up for yourself. Keep showing up for yourself. Even if you have a rough day, you can still show up. Even if you don't have, you know, you're not feeling it, you can still, I mean, I always tell myself, at least go for like, try to commit to 20 minutes, you know, just push yourself 20 minutes. And usually you can make it past 20. You can make it to 30. You can make it to 40. You can make it to 45. You can make it to an hour. You can get it. Consistency and giving shade for 2024. I know that's right. 
big bag booty. Uh, 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 uh. Um, all right. Well, spousal immunity. Yep, that's for Erica. So, yes, keep it going. Get, get, get it. All right. What should we talk about now? Um, let's talk Tamara Judge and OC. Then we'll get to Kyle and Dorit. We'll talk about the Royals, Meghan Markle, Chelsea Handler hosting the Critics' Choice Awards. And then we can talk a little bit about the Traders season two because that is good. Okay, so Tamara Judge is confirming that Vicky was upset, which was my theory. This is what I said last week that I speculated that uh, Vicky was probably upset with Tamara about doing her two teas in a pod live show that she's doing up in San Francisco with Teddy. That's happening on January 25th, which is, oh, that's next weekend, huh? So Teddy and Tamara are doing a live taping. Um, Emily from OC is going to be in it. Their husbands are going to be in it, Eddie and, um, oh my God, why is Edwin? Eddie and Edwin are going to be in the live show. Emily's going to be in the live show. So it'll be fun. Looks like it's going to be a good time, but uh, Tamara is confirming because now she's doing press for the traders. She's confirming that Vicky is definitely upset about it. And she was upset that she, because apparently Tamara started to pull out of Trace Amigas, which is the live show that the three of them would do together. It's not a podcast. Two T's in a pod is a podcast and they're taping the podcast live in front of an audience. But with the Trace Amigas, that was just a live show that the three of them would do together, like a variety show. But Tamara says that the reason she didn't want to keep doing them is because they were after Shannon's DUI. And she thought that Shannon should be focused on making herself better, right? Healing from the DUI, getting herself into a healthy headspace, not being in this party travel environment where they're going to different cities and they're, you know, everyone's drinking and getting drunk. And the whole premise of Trace Amigas is doing, you know, tequila shots, and whooping it up. So Tamara's like, I just didn't feel comfortable doing that with Shannon. And I felt like Shannon should have been focusing on herself. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know. That's just what Tamara is saying. And that is the reason she's giving for pulling out of the Trace Amigas show, which upset Vicky because Vicky's like, oh, you're going to pull out of Trace Amigas, but you're going to do two teas in a pod. And Tamara's like, well, listen, I was planning on doing two teas in a pod months ago. I told you guys about this months ago. It's not like we're doing a tour with two teas in a pod. We were offered to do a live show. We're doing a live show. She says that she wishes them well, though. She's like, even if they bring in Kelly, good. I hope they sell a lot of tickets because Kelly Dodd has been hanging out with Vicky and she's been talking a lot about Shannon and talking trashing Tamara on her podcast. What is it? Daily grab and dash, dash, I don't know. Something grab, daily grab something with, uh, Kelly and her husband, Rick Leventhal. So she's like, listen, if Kelly wants to go and they're going to be the new Trace Amigas, then good for them. I hope they sell lots of tickets. And it made me think, because I was talking to my friend Steven the other day. You guys know him as Faces by Bravo. And we were just chit-chatting, catching up, talking boys, drama, Daily Smash, yes. Talking boys, talking drama, talking all the things. Steven is one of my real friends. We're not like YouTube friends. We're real friends. And um, he was like, do you think that this is a ploy to get Vicky back on the show? And I was like, is it a ploy to get Vicky back on the show? Like, I guess that would technically make sense, right? If Tamara, Vicky, and Shannon get into a fight and there's all this drama related to Alexis, you know, this may be a good way to loop Vicky back in. However, I don't think... Bravo is interested in bringing Vicky back full time. I just don't think they're interested in moving the show back. I think they want to continue to move the show forward. So 
yeah, we'll see. We shall see, we shall see, we shall see. But I just don't envision Vicky coming back to the show. And I don't think that they're giving her a full-time contract. Alexis, as far as we know, is um, she was offered a contract, a more formal offer. We'll see if she takes it. My understanding is that she was not taking it and was not interested. Uh, there was a rumor going around that it was likely going to affect her child support. So we'll see. Moving on from OC, let's talk about Beverly Hills. That's where I want to be. So Kyle Richards is saying that Dorit Kemsley is exaggerating the depth of their friendship. So Dorit was recently on Watch What Happens Live. She made a comment. She says that now she feels that Kyle has gotten a lot closer to Morgan Wade and that the closer she gets to Morgan, the more and more she and Kyle start to drift. So Dorit feels a bit of a diff- bit. Feels a bit of different, a distance, not difference, distance. And she says that, you know, she loves Kyle. She's like, Kyle, I love you. But like, that's the truth. We're not as close as we used to be. We used to take trips all of the time, which is something she said on the show. I believe in one of her confessionals where she was just like, I just feel a distance from Kyle. And we used to go on trips all the time. And we used to hang out. And it was always a good time. And then now Kyle's like, Kyle went on her Amazon Live, which is, Kyle is her best. When she's on her Amazon Lives, I'm like, yes, Kyle spills the tea. Kyle's honest. Kyle's like, you know, she. there's always something interesting that comes out of her her Amazon lives. So I'm kind of like, you know what? I'm going to start tuning into these. I want to start doing Amazon lives. I think that would be kind of fun. You do a whole little QVC. Like, I'm, this is what I'm wearing this week, guys. This is my favorite beauty products. Guys, I do have an Amazon storefront. So if there's an option to do a live, I might actually do it. That might be kind of fun. Um, But so Kyle on her live was like, um... I wasn't even that close to Dorit to begin with. I don't even know her. She was like, she didn't really say that. That was an exaggeration and a a nod to Mariah Carey. But she was basically saying that like, yes, we were friends, but she's like, you know, she talked on the show. She said that we used to go on all of these trips together. She's like, but the trips that we would go on together all the time were the trips that we did for the show. She's like, we only went on one couple's trip together where it was me and Mo and Dorit and PK. She's like, outside of that, it's not like we were traveling all the time where Dorit was like, we would go on trips two to three times a year. Kyle's like, we still go on trips. We are just doing them for the show. And it's like, oof. And then Kyle's like, listen, Dorit's kids are young. My kids are grown. So it's kind of hard to like have, you know, whereas Teddy's kids are young too, right? And I think that's why she hangs out with Teddy a lot is because, uh, or actually, no, that's a good point. I got that confused. Dorit and Teddy don't hang out that much, even though both of them have younger kids. Teddy Teddy also has younger kids, whereas Kyle's kids are all grown. So that doesn't... Sorry, this is just... I'm coming out as I'm as I'm thinking about it. But she said that that was one of the reasons that her and Dorit aren't that close is because Dorit has younger kids and she just doesn't... She can't hang out with the Dorit and the kids. Like, you know, whatever. But Kyle said the other reason is that... Uh, or she gave three reasons. She said the second reason is that Dorit doesn't like to work out. And Kyle likes to work out with her friends. Dorit's just not very active. So it's hard to hang out with her. I'm assuming she's referencing, like, workout classes and hikes. Kyle loves to go on hikes. And I guess Dorit's... Yeah, Dorit's not about that. Dorit's not about that life. She doesn't care about hikes. But she said the third thing is that... Um, Dorit still likes to drink and Kyle's like I don't really drink like we try to like set up lunch to catch up but you know Dorit drinks I don't I work out Dorit doesn't Dorit's kids are young so it's not like we can get together and have play dates with our kids so she's like listen we're just you know it is what it is I'm in love with Morgan Wade and she eats me out better than Dorit ever could JK JK kidding but 
Yeah. Dorit does look great. Dorit does not need to be working out because she looks damn good as it is. She has to be doing something though, right? Because she's still got like a tight body. She's got a little bit of muscle mass and tone. It's very little, but like, you know, it's something. But yeah, it looks like the Fox Force 5 is not really Fox Force anymore. Kyle and Teddy still seem to be good. Dorit kind of seems to be hanging off a bit. Erica seems to be close with Teddy and seems to still talk to Kyle. Erica and Lisa Rinna are still really close. So I don't know. Teddy doesn't, or Dorit doesn't seem to talk to Rinna or really hang out with Erica all that much. Yeah, we don't really see much of Dorit and Erica. Interesting. Well, we'll see what happens. But it doesn't look like their friendship is that close anymore. It looks like the Fox Force 5 has definitely had their alliance fractured or their friendships fractured. I think BravoCon last year had a lot to do with it with um, Dorit making the comment about Teddy's fashion and then Erica making the, the comment about Dorit and PK's marriage. So I think at this point it's just kind of gone off hill. I'm curious what you guys think about Lisa Rinna not being on the show this season. A lot of people are saying that like this is one of Beverly Hills' worst seasons ever and it's not very interesting. I happen to disagree. I think it's interesting. It's different. It's not the same as Lisa Rinna. Um, I miss Lisa Rinna. I think Lisa was an asset. I'm kind of glad that we're taking a break from Lisa because it does kind of freshen the show up a bit. I don't hate Anne-Marie the way everybody is like really hating Anne-Marie. I don't think we've gotten enough of her to hate her yet. Um, Y'all racists. Uh, JK, JK. Just, you know, going by Twitter's rule book. Um, but I don't hate Anne-Marie. I actually kind of, I'm like, well, let's see what she brings to the table. Everyone's mad. I think everyone's upset with her because she's coming for Sutton and everybody loves Sutton. But I'm just like, I don't know. I'm not that mad at it. I I think she's fine. Is she like a breakout? No. But is she, Has have we seen much of her? No. Like we, we haven't really gotten to know her yet. We... Like, she's the new addition to the show. Anne-Marie just doesn't fit. Sutton didn't fit when she first came in. Garcelle is still kind of awkward around most of these women. I don't believe that Garcelle, Crystal, and Sutton are really as close. I think maybe, no, I believe their friendship is more of an alliance. I think if and when the show ends, I don't know how often I would see them hanging out together unless it was an attempt to get back on the show, the same way Camille and Denise would hang out with them. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't hate Anne-Marie. I don't not hate Anne-Marie. Like, I don't really feel a type of way. She's only been on the show a couple of episodes. We haven't seen much of her personal storyline, but we'll see where she takes us. I mean, she's not like the biggest, but like, listen, I also would have loved to have seen Diana Jenkins come back. I know people hated her and she was so polarizing, but like, I don't know when there's a housewife that like may, well actually Anne Marie's not as interesting as as Diana Jenkins was like Diana has like a rich storyline in the background Diana had money Diana didn't give a fuck like Diana was hardcore and I would have loved to have gotten a second season because usually by the third season is really where you kind of feel good about someone or not good about someone but that's usually where you get a well rounded opinion about someone is about a housewife is her third season. So I don't like when we don't give a housewife a second season unless they are really bad or really don't fit in. But yeah, Diana Jenkins had a hot husband. She was, he was, he was yummy. I would have loved to have had her back just to see Asher run around without a shirt again and sing to me and serenade me. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Um, Okay. Let's talk about the Royals. The Royals. There's a new report that came out in page six this week. 
Um, I guess it's from a new book called Charles III, New King, New Court in the Inside Story. And so in it, it claims that Queen Elizabeth was furious over her granddaughter's name being Lilibet. Or not about the name, but about something that Meghan Markle said in reference to the name. So we now know that Lilibet was a name that originated from Queen Elizabeth. That was, I believe, her nickname growing up. So she was named after her grandmother, the Queen, Her Majesty. And Meghan Markle claims that they got permission from the Queen. I believe she said this publicly, that the Queen gave them permission. And I guess according to this new book, Charles III, that does not appear to be the case. Apparently, it was only after the baby was born that Harry informed the Queen that the baby's name was going to be Lilibet. And the Queen, I'm, I guess... Uh, abided by it she obliged she didn't i don't really understand um the whole point of this like tea that came out but and megan was trolling the queen that's hilarious because the queen didn't like her so megan's like you know what? we're gonna name the baby after you grammy her majesty so my thing is like do you really need someone's permission like i think it's an honor when you name a baby after a loved one or someone important in your life or someone significant in your life and naming your baby after a grandparent or a great-grandparent like that's kind of it's kind of standard it's not really all that out of the ordinary so you know i think the queen was more upset that Megan publicly claimed that the queen like approved this and the queen gave her like endorsement of this name. The queen was like, yes, I love it. I approve darling. And then that's not the queen. That's Lisa Vanderbilt. But so I think she's upset that Megan Markle lied. And I'm like, why are we upset that Megan Markle lies? Like that's what Megan Markle does. I mean, it's par for the course for Megan. She makes things up. She changes the narrative to whatever fits hers. So I think the whole story, if this is the juiciest thing that comes out of that book, then the book doesn't sound like it's going to be all that great. And you know, I've come for Megan and Harry. I watched, We've watched their docu-special. We um, read the, the book. What was it? Oh, shit. What was the book? The Tom Bowers book. Revenge? Is that what it was called? Revenge? That was a good book. We got into a lot. We've we've done deep dives into Meghan and Harry. So if I'm saying that this sounds like a bunch of fluff and if this is the most that we get is that the queen threw a tantrum and she was the most upset that she's ever been because Meghan told a little white lie. Like if the lies Meghan has told, this is a very insignificant one in my opinion. I think it's fanning the flames with not a whole lot of tea in it. So sorry, I'm going to be skipping Charles III. Also, I'm just not that interested in Prince Charles or King Charles. King Charles. Chelsea Handler hosted the Critics' Choice Awards. Here, she threw in her opening monologue, she threw a little shade at her ex, Joe Coy. He was a regular on her Chelsea Lately Roundtable when she had her e-late night talk show, which I still miss to this day. And so in her opening monologue, she made a joke that the audience laughed at. And so she followed followed it up by saying, thank you for laughing at that. My writers wrote it. And this was a dig at last week's Golden Globes gig that Joe Coy hosted because he made a joke about Oppenheimer and Barbie. I finally watched his opening monologue. I saw bits of Chelsea's. I haven't seen her full opening. I like, I enjoy her comedy. Um, Her politics are a little intense sometimes and she's just a little too over the top with that type of stuff, which has turned me off to her like 
in general, but like loved Chelsea lately, loved her docuseries Chelsea Does. I enjoyed watching her talk show Chelsea when it was on Netflix. So I do enjoy Chelsea lately, or sorry, Chelsea Handler. But so I finally watched Joe Coy's opening monologue for the Golden Globes. I thought that it was better than people made it out to be. Everyone's like, oh my God, he bombed. Nobody laughed. It was so bad. It was sexist. It was all of these things, right? He opens it and it was a lot about him, um, which at first I was like, okay, it's a lot about him. And again, from what I remember when I would do standup and when I would take like joke writing classes and I would study the art of standup because it is a craft and it is a skill that you can develop in terms of like building and delivering jokes and comedic timing and the setup of a joke. And one thing that I always remember when studying that is that you always want to not open your bit too personal, especially when it's a new audience. I think Joe Coy is so used to filling out arenas and having them laugh at whatever he says that he hasn't bombed in a while. And I think it's because when you reach a certain level of fame as a comedian, regardless of what you do or where you go, like the audience is still always going to laugh at you because they like you and they're going to, you know, support you regardless. And so I think that's kind of what was going on here. Um, but so and like I said, when you open up a bit, a stand up set, you usually don't start personal. You usually start very general so that people will laugh at you and, and you kind of warm up to the audience. And then you start to make a little more personal jokes as the, the set goes on, whereas this was a little bit of an opposite. He opened it being very personal and talking about how he used to watch award shows growing up and his mom always knew that Meryl Streep was going to win and whatever. Um, so it was a lot about him, but it did get a lot better the later the monologue went on and then we get to the Barbie stuff, right? He made some jokes about Barbie I didn't think that they were that bad. You know, I some people were like, those jokes were sexist. He said the word boobies on stage. Ugh. And I think any joke, any and every joke, and this is why stand-up comedy clubs no longer allow people to take phones in or they like restrict them from filming, is because I feel like at this point, every joke, you can misconstrue it if you take it too seriously. And we have to forget, or we have to remember, and we can't forget that, Jokes are not meant to be taken with the weight that I think some people take them with. And so they're meant to poke fun at things. They're meant to bring levity to heavier situations. I, like Joan Rivers was always very big on that about like, we have to be able to make fun of tragedies. Otherwise, we would just be sad all the time. Like we have to be able to laugh at these things. We have to be able to laugh at ourselves. I think that Golden Globes and Critics' Choice Awards and all this stuff, they've had worse you know, like more ruthless um, comedians hosts. Ricky Gervais was like one of the most ruthless and toothless. And listen, he was great. I always enjoyed it. I didn't think that Joe Coy's opening monologue was as bad as people were making it out to be. Now, his Barbie jokes did fall a little flat. Like some of the people weren't laughing that hard, but also like, fuck off. Like you're a bunch of actors. You're making so much fucking money. You're not even paying for these expensive dresses that you're wearing. Like your life is good. You can take a few jokes. Okay. Take it on the chin and take a little cum on your chest. Like you're fine. You're doing okay. If somebody wants to make a little joke about you, it's really not that bad in the grand scheme of things. That's not to say that people should bully you, but a comedian making some jokes is not bullying. I think people throw that around a little too loosely. Right. But like I said, every joke can really be misconstrued if we take it too seriously. And we need to stop taking jokes too seriously and just like find the fun in life again, be able to just laugh at things again. But there were a couple of Barbie jokes that he made that did fall a little flat um, to which he responded on stage. And I think this was off the cuff. I don't think that this was in his set. Um, he wrote some I wrote some other people wrote. 
And it was basically to address like some of the awkwardness in the room and to kind of keep the show moving, which is a thing comedians do. He added that he just got the gig, te- uh, just got the gig ten days ago, and he uh, jokes that the the jokes that he made that people laughed at were the ones that he wrote and the ones that people didn't laugh at were the ones that the writers wrote. So he kind of took a little dig at the writers, which is why Chelsea Handler coming in being like, thank you for laughing at that. My writers wrote it. You know, I mean, I don't think he should have thrown a dig at the writers, but he was, it was off the cuff. It wasn't the best jab to take, especially because the writers worked very hard. And if he just, he did just come in 10 days ago, then they had to have a bunch of jokes lined up just to have on hand until they were able to settle on a host. But I mean, especially like the Globes and award shows like this don't really leave it open for off the cuff jokes. So you really just kind of have to stick to the script. So it was a little even more awkward that he went off script because these things are meant to be very um, like, very much because they're live right isn't this was aired live they're very much um like scripted and segmented and every line and every delivery of a joke like nothing's really off the cuff especially when you're the host like when you're the host like they definitely want you to make sure you stick to your script and that's why they have other writers come in write jokes for you uh everything has to be approved beforehand legal has to approve all of it like there's a lot that goes into these things but at the same time on the other end of it these comedians are hired not just to be entertaining and to make people laugh, but they're hired to drum up headlines, which, listen, at the end of the day, we're still talking about it. Joe Coy did his job and he drummed up some headlines. He got everybody talking. I wasn't mad about it. I thought he did fine. He's a stand-up comic. He's not a TV host. It's a tough gig. I think he did fine, considering how badly some of his jokes did bomb. I think he carried it well and went full steam ahead. I think especially a comedian at his caliber that has his level of comic success and is able to sell out studios after or stadiums after stadiums and theaters like you know he's not used to bombing anymore he's used to like still really hitting the crowd and making a mediocre joke that people are still going to belly laugh at because he's joe coy so he's he doesn't have like that mainstream fame and he's not like a tv host he's not a jimmy kimmel he's not a a ricky gervais he's not a uh, jimmy fallon so, you know, interessante. We'll see what happens. We'll see where it goes from here, though. Who gets to host it next year? But Chelsea did fine at the Critics' Choice Awards. She always does fine. She's good at that. And she knows how to keep it woke enough to keep people on her side. Okay, let's talk Trader Season 2 before we wrap because I've been loving it. I finally binged was the first three, not four episodes. I think there are only three episodes that are out so far. So good. Okay. Love this season. Season one had like half reality stars and half like normal people. I love this season without the normies. We don't need the normies. Nobody cared. Like nothing really came of it for them afterwards. I mean, some of them had their like moments, but like it was fine. The interesting, and I think I like that we don't have the normies because remember at the end of season one when Suri won and Suri is a reality star veteran. She was on Survivor, right? She's a veteran or she wasn't Big Brother. She was Survivor. I believe she was Survivor. But so she's seasoned, ruthless and toothless, going all the way to the end, was like gonna win. And then you have two of the normies that were faithfuls. And because the whole premise for people that don't know the show is you have a group full of people. They all go stay in an Irish castle. It's hosted by Alan Cummings. And 
three people are selected to be the traitors. And so they're, it's a game of deceit. They have to pretend that they're quote unquote faithfuls as everybody else in the castle is. Everyone's a faithful. And so the point of the game is to stay a traitor and to stay undetected and not be outed as a traitor because at the end of every episode they have a banishment where everyone has to band together and pick one person that they vote out with the intention of trying to get out a traitor. And so, because if the traitors make it all the way to the end of the game, they win all the money. If any of the faithfuls make it all the way to the end of the game, whoever's left, they get to split the money. But if there's a traitor amongst them, then the traitor takes everything. So we have season two. It just started. We have Phaedra Parks from Real Houses of Atlanta and Married to Medicine, who's been selected as a traitor. She's fucking killing it. She is killing it. Okay. Um, Castle in Scotland. Sorry, Scotland. Um, who else? Oh, there's the guy, Tom. Where is he? He's from Big Brother. He's a traitor, too. Um, so those are the two traitors, and then they recruit somebody else who I think was also in Big Brother. I don't know. Aside from, like, the Bravo people, I wasn't really familiar with a lot of the other reality stars. But I just like that it's all reality stars, and we don't have that mix. Because, like, we saw at the end of season one, we had two of the normies that are like, I'm here to win for my family. And then we had Sari, who's a seasoned veteran. She won. She was a... Um, she was a traitor. She made it all the way to the end. People trusted her and thought that she was really her friend. And she was really like, you know, they would confide in Sari. And so at the end, they believed that she was faithful, which was her job. Her job was to deceive everybody and make it to the end to win the money. So in the end, when she won the money, then the two faithfuls that were left, were, which were two of the normies, they were just like, like, so like hurt. And they were like crying. They're like, you deceived us. And you were, ter- you, you hurt our feelings. And I'm just like, guys, you're on a game called the traitors. The whole point is to become a traitor and to make it to the end. So I thought that that was stupid. So I'm glad that like everybody's on the same pl- playing field. Everyone's a normie. There is one, he's an athlete, right? He's like a pro something. Um, he's in the game and he is acting like a norm because he's like crying every time somebody leaves and they send home a faithful and they think that it's a traitor because, again, they have to vote at the end of every episode. One person that they believe is the traitor in the group. And then at the end, they have to tell them, are you a traitor or are you a faithful? And so far, everybody's been a faithful. Nobody gets the traitors up front, though. Like, that's the whole point of the traitors is you have to play a good enough game to make it as long as you can. But Tom is looking like he's he's struggling. Oh, Dan. Sorry, Dan. His name is not Tom. His name is Dan. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Dan. Um, But Larsa and MJ, they're faithfuls. They're killing it. Like, I did not expect either of them to steal the show. But I guess that's what makes them good housewives. I was worried that Larsa and MJ were going to kind of fall into the background and maybe not be as um, impressionable as they have been. But they're really leaving their mark. Like, Larsa is good. And MJ is good, too. Like, they're good at, like, catching clues. They were the ones that were the only two convinced that Dan is one of the traitors. And they called it out. And nobody else believed them. And so they ended up sending home another faithful. So two faithfuls have been sent home so far. Two other faithfuls have already been killed so far because that's also the game of the traitors is at the end of every episode, the traitors pick one faithful to kill and then all the faithful get to pick one person to banish from the castle. So I don't know if you want any spoilers. I won't give you any spoilers. We'll get into spoilers with the next episode, but I want you guys to go and watch the first three right now. But I mean, I guess the only spoiler that you got is that Dan and Phaedra are the traitors, but you see that up front. And then they bring in one more. They recruit one other as a faithful. But whew. 
I agree, Danielle. I think that MJ and Larsa might be hurting their game by talking too much, but like that's what makes it interesting. That's what made Kate Chastain and Brandy Glanville breakouts in season one. And congrats to them, right? Uh, season one was just won an Emmy, which is great, which I think the Emmys are happening here in downtown. I saw them setting up over by LA Live and the Crypto Center. So I think... I want to say the Emmys are happening here. Yesterday they were setting everything up. But um, yeah, Kate and Brandy stole the show in season one. Good for them. They earned that Emmy for the show, uh, which Brandy is flexing on. She's like, see, you're welcome. You just got an Emmy because of me. I was, And she really was a breakout. Like everyone talked about Brandy and everyone talked about Kate Chastain, which by the way, teaser, Kate Chastain comes back in this next episode. She returns to the castle. I don't know if she's returning to play the game or if she's just returning for, you know, to stir up some drama, but I'm excited. Kate Chastain killed it last season. Uh, my favorite is still Phaedra, by far my fave. This format is where she shines, where it's not about like her storyline or her personal life, but like it's an ensemble cast, you know, ultimate girls trip, competition shows. Like this is really where we get a good Phaedra and she really shines and is able to kind of um, show us why we love Phaedra. She has good reads. She's fun. Phaedra is like ready to like really kill somebody. She's like, I'm a traitor. And if somebody has to get murdered. She's like, I love these people, but somebody's got to get murdered. And I'm like, yes, lean into that. Lean into that villain art girl. <laughs> Loving it. Season's good. Uh, looking forward to Kate, but you can catch traitors on Peacock. Johnny Bananas, I believe, is recapping it for The Ringer. Uh, I went to them. And I was like, can we? Can I recap The Traitors? Because it's so good. I got to recap it season one. But we only did like one episode kind of briefly touching on it. And then they gave it to Johnny Bananas this season because he was on it. And spoiler alert, he's the first one to get killed off of the show. I know I said I wasn't going to do spoilers, but sorry. He's not on the show because he got killed off first. I'm trying to get, I think I want to get Johnny Bananas on the podcast. I love me some Johnny Bananas. He's a hunk of hunk of burning love. I'm like, ooh, Johnny Bananas. We can't get rid of him too soon. Which, by the way, House of Villains, I finally finished it. Um, anybody watch it? The winner, which, spoiler alert, you can pause it, fast forward it, whatever. But here's a beep, 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 spoiler alert for the winner of The House of Villains. Pause it now or fast forward now. Um, Johnny Bananas does not win. House of Villains. It's actually Tanisha. Tanisha wins, which I thought was great. I mean, it kind of goes against the premise of House of Villains. You're supposed to be evil and ruthless and toothless in order to make it to the end, which Johnny Bananas was. But that's how he ended up in uh, the second spot because everyone voted for Tanisha because she played a good game. She played a hard game and she was there for her son. She had her family tied. Like she really, you know, won everybody over with her like heart, like pulling on the heartstrings. But Johnny Bananas was probably the best villain to have won that game. The challenges were a little lackluster. I'll say that. I expect, like, the challenges were like, oh, eat that. Like, it just, I don't know. It didn't seem like there was a very high budget for House of Villains, which it was still not bad. It was good. I enjoyed it. I mean, I wasn't eagerly looking forward to it week after week, and there were a couple moments where it ran a little stale and a little slow. But I enjoyed House of Villains, and I watched all the way to the end. I thought it was a good cast. I want to see them come back for a season two, maybe have a maybe up the ante a bit, though. It did grow a little stale. Yeah, a lot of people are like, it was, it was stale. It was boring. It was fine. I saw your segment on Court TV. You did great. Thank you, Jessamy Kerr. The season was good. I want MJ, Larsa, and, and CJ to team up and form an alliance. I know MJ, Larsa, and CJ would be great. 
especially now that Johnny Bananas is gone. I'm so sad. I love me some Johnny Bananas. Oh, I want to play with his bananas. Johnny wins enough challenges, but it's such good TV. I know. Um, Johnny Bananas. Oh, did you guys know that a banana is a berry? So when we were driving up to Sequoia and we were doing our road trip, we were playing a, a trivia game and it said, which of these is not a berry? And it was like strawberry, blueberry, raspberry, bananas. And we were all like, duh, a banana is not a berry. Stupid question. And it turns out a strawberry is not a berry, but a banana is a berry. Fun fact. Who would have known? Um, yeah. So there we go. Rachel uploaded her first podcast on Sunday this week and there isn't one yet. Is she giving up already? Oh no, she's already not. She's already done with her podcast. Girlfriend, what is going on? Katie and Dana from Vanderpump. Dana, um, she was on season eight. Remember she was one of the newbies. She was the blonde one. And then Katie Maloney, they have a new podcast called, uh, was it disrespectfully? They're hosting it and they talked about it and they're like, we're not listening to our podcast. She's not taking accountability. And I was like, yeah, trust me, it's not that good of a podcast. What do you think of Monica bringing the numbers for a Salt Lake City reunion? Should she come back? Um, I mean, it is an ensemble show. So you can't say Monica's the only reason that they brought in the numbers. Um, but listen, Monica's doing a great job. I think they're all they're all clocking in this season. Should she come back? I mean, if they can find a way to bring her back, I would like to see her back. I think that I like I listen, I said earlier in this podcast episode, I don't like when we only give a housewife one season. I want to see at least three seasons to really make a, a fully informed decision on whether or not I like them. You know, so. Yeah. All right, guys, I appreciate you. I love you. Have a wonderful rest of your Monday. Happy MLK Day. If you guys are off today, enjoy your day off. And get ready, Freddie, because there's a lot more tea to be spilled all week long. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. All new episodes of No Filter with Zach Peter. Bonus episodes drop on Friday if you're a member of No Filter Plus on Apple Podcasts. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, then definitely, um, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, definitely leave me a nice Apple Podcast review. Five stars. One, two, three, four, five. Um, yeah. I love, I love all the love and I appreciate it. I've been reading some of your reviews. I've been appreciating them. So thank you. Please let me know what you're enjoying about the podcast so I can keep doing it. Some of you love the singing. Some of you don't. We'll see. I, well, I'm still going to do me, but yeah. Thanks guys. I love you. You can always follow me at Just Plain Zach all over the internet. Follow the podcast at No Filter with Zach. Get merch in the link, the link in the description below. You can get your merch. Um, we did have to outsource the merch for this batch so it is being printed on demand so just please be a little patient uh it as soon as you order it goes into production and then we'll get shipped out to you the batches that we do have will be saved for live shows that we'll be doing i'm doing another live show february 14th valentine's day at the bourbon room in hollywood tickets will go on sale this week so stay tuned for that zach pack members will get first dibs all right guys i love you i appreciate you have a wonderful rest of your day and i'll talk to you tomorrow bye ciao for now